Episode 311, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Season 6, Episode 13, New Life. Welcome to Level 7. A podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Hello, welcome to another episode of Welcome to Level 7 as we celebrate the final episode of the sixth season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And the whole gang is here. It's me, Ben. And then I'm also here with Stuart. It's me. It's me, Stuart. And Samantha. Hey, how are you? I'm doing okay. Doing okay. How are you guys doing? Yeah, It's been a while. Even though for our listeners it hasn't been because the last episode hasn't even been released yet. So (laughs) doing better. We'll be fairly closely to this one. So Yeah. I will be. I had a cold last week, but I'm much better now. And yeah, let's Yeah. (laughs) Wow, that was good. Yeah, Stuart did not have a cold. And that (laughs) No, didn't have a cold. Um yeah. Right. Lucky. There Lucky. it is. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is the uh, final episode of this season, the second to last season. And so we are going to be talking about that, talking about the new normal that usually happens in your uh, uh, post credit kind of things for this situation. Uh, and and then next episode, we will be talking about the season finale of Cloak and Dagger season two. So that'll be good. I guess I better watch that one, huh? Yes, you better. I yeah. might have to rewatch the whole season. What was it? What's been happening? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It, it's a great episode, and we get to talk about it finally next episode. But Right. Yeah. And then we don't have any new S.H.I.E.L.D. until we don't know when, do we? I believe it's next summer. Yeah. Yeah. No, they they didn't tell anyone for a long while, um, and I think that's because they might have been going back and forth about just going into this next season of television um, or being a replacement in January. But it is a summer, a summer series, officially. But the weird thing is that, as far as um, production goes, they've already wrapped. Yeah, it's done. Seven. It's been done for a while. It's done. Yeah. It is interesting, though. I did find out uh, based on uh, some interviews that were were done. uh, This season was halfway written when they found out that they were going to have a season seven. And so Hmm. they were able to, I think, maybe go back and maybe even plant some stuff in. But they were able to really finesse it and and target it toward. Um, what the next season would be like. So they they knew that, that they were writing towards something that was going to be continuing. And we kind of knew that already, but I didn't know the time frame uh, of that. And yeah, I mean, that, that frees you up a little bit to know, okay, we're going to plant some seeds and we get to pay off those seeds in a season that we know we're going to get. Because that's always, that's always the tension is you get to the end of the season especially in American television, especially now, it gets to the end of the season and you want to do the big cliffhanger, which we've talked about often on this show. 
Um, but then what happens if the big cliffhanger doesn't get resolved? Well, you end up with Stargate Universe or <laughs> you end up with um, Space Above and Beyond or you end up with any number of shows that would be great, but nobody wants to watch it because there's no resolution to it because so, so, it's building up towards something that doesn't doesn't get re- resolved. Um, and that was possibly the case every season up until this point. They Most of the seasons, they didn't know there was going to be a, a next season when they were wrapping up production. And there were a couple of times when we got a, a cliffhanger, and I think we may not still have known officially on our end as far as like the public, the general public may not have known that there's going to be another season. And so we were wondering, are we going to get a resolution? But this is a, a luxury. This is a privilege that they had. Well, it, yes. It, and it, you can tell that based on this last episode that there were sprinklings of things that's going to push us into season seven. Yeah, but imagine imagine if this ha- we got that, that ending – and, and we didn't know we were going to have a season seven. Yeah, yeah that would have been. Yeah, it have been really interesting. Well, you know, we talk about how you know different it is for us now. From from you know life, as '90s people and '80s people, but <laughs> um, you yeah. know, because that was just the way of things. Your show would end with with the season. And then you'd be like, I three don't know months. what's going to happen. I'm going to wait three months, and hopefully, it's going to come back and. And hopefully I'll get to see uh, see my show again. Is Jean-Luc Picard really a Borg? I don't know. Yeah, I remember when that happened with the Borg. Uh, oh, gosh. I, and I remember I was still young enough. I didn't understand that this was the episode and it was there was going to be a summer break. So I came back the next week hoping to see what was going to happen. <laughs> and you got episode one of that season. Um, instead of- no, I think – I think I got yeah. It was either episode one of the, of that season or it was another show. It was just Code of Honor on repeat over and over. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there are some real stinkers. At the beginning of that series. There are some real stinkers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> but this isn't a Star Trek podcast, Ben. It's not. You're <laughs> right. Someday we're going to do it. Hey, someday. you know, someday when someone invents some form of time travel and right. <laughs> and also really, really good uh, stasis pods where you get a full night's of sleep in one hour. <sighs> yeah. Then uh, if you're working on that, I will gladly test it for you. I almost wonder <laughs> which would be more uh, which would be better for us. The, the stasis pod where you get 23 hours of awakeness and only one hour of sleep uh, or time travel because time travel, you're still limited by the physicality of your body. Yeah. But, I mean, the time turner in, in Harry Potter didn't work too well for Hermione. She still got true. really tired. Yeah. I was going to say Hermione, poor Hermione. And then she would get confused about where she was supposed mm-hmm. to go. Um and then, you know, and the reality is if, if you had one or the other, you, you know, laws would change and your boss would want you to work 24 hours straight or well, yeah, that's just jobs. It. That's yeah. just it. Like if we were able to get more sleep, it, maybe not even because of our boss. It might even be just us. We would just start wasting more time. Um, <laughs> and I saw a cartoon actually recently. It was really funny where there's this 
guy at the pearly gates in St. Peter's there. And he says, I was a video game designer. Did I waste my life? And St. Peter says, no, your games were loved and beloved by thousands and thousands of people who spent many, many hours on them. No, you didn't waste your life. You wasted the life of thousands and thousands of people. <laughs> oh, that's not, not to say there's correct. not value in entertainment. There is absolutely value in entertainment, but yeah, if we were able to be awake 23 hours, would we be more productive? Our thumbs would get a really good workout from scrolling up. <laughs> and this is why I play games on my phone where I have to stop playing after I lose five lives. And, it, I, and it won't let me. Yeah. I have to. Yeah. And I have to wait two and a half hours for me to get more lives or something like that. Because um, I've been known on World of Warcraft to spend. You know, I'll hop on there. Oh, I'll only be on here for half an hour. Um, Four and days six, later. Yeah, six hours later, I realize, oh, I've been on here all day long. Yeah. Because one more quest. One more quest. I don't even know what six hours in front of a screen looks like anymore. I do, but it's part of my day job. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's not every day. Um, not every day. All right. Well, let's let's start talking about this episode here because, um, yeah, I mean, this episode, it wraps everything up with a neat and tidy bow, except for mm -hmm. the stuff that it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> and and I really have to ask myself because I was really wrapped up in just the coolness of this episode, the coolness of like the final battle. The coolness of all these elements coming together from, you know, the previous seasons of television. And I was wrapped up in that. But then as I started, like, putting together this outline and and putting together my thoughts about this sh this season, I'm I'm not as enamored by it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's time to talk about it. So let's start with Fitz and Simmons, who. They're able to watch get Sarge get murdery and stabby with May. And they watch Sarge throw May through the portal. And Daisy takes on the blame because she trusted Sarge. Um, so that's kind of the emotional setup is they're all dealing now with the loss of May and the loss of May at the hands of Sarge. Which... As you remember last time we talked about this, I was saying Sarge is still a good guy and he did it knowing that May would survive and knowing that May was going to take care of things on the other side. What I didn't know is that I was wrong because Sarge is a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll give you the N out of the no prize because, yeah, he did he – did push her through to sort of save her, but she want he wanted her to do what she did anyway, which yeah, is it, come back with the stones. It wasn't to save her. It was, um, to, yeah, to manipulate her. In fact, where did I put it in my notes here? We're not there yet in my notes. So it's somewhere down here. Uh, may was sent to the other dimension by Sarge as I thought, but not with quite the same motivation. It was bad guy manipulation into doing his own dirty work move instead of good guy trust me i know what i'm doing and i have a plan move yeah up until that final battle scene i debated is sarge still on his own side is he with shield i i, I didn't know what he was doing and then i realized no nah, he was just probably on his own 
um, he had his own thing going on. I think there were elements of Coulson poking through, you know, and kind of bleeding out through the edges of Sarge. Uh, but then the the whole stuff with Izel in this episode, re- he just reverted back, you know, and, and so, yeah. you know, it's the company you keep kind of thing where when he was with S.H.I.E.L.D., his better nature was was nurtured and was coming out. And then he gets with Izel and he goes back into that basically revenge uh, mind frame where he's not happy with Izel. And so he's going to turn on her, but he's not turning on her because he's a good guy. Not at all. So let's start with uh, the Zephyr. So Yo-Yo ends up getting a Shrike in her. That's not good because we've never seen anyone survive a Shrike. And that's how that guy that Samantha, that you can't remember his name, uh, that I can't remember it now either. Keller? I think you might be right. Yeah. Anyway, that's how Keller died. And it's ironic because she was dating that guy at the time. Although it'd be less ironic. It was less ironic than Mac. If Mac had been the one who got the the strike in him. I think I'm using ironic, right? Am I using ironic, right? I don't know. No, I don't think so. Eh. It's not in the song, so. Well, and Alanis... Ironically, Alanis Morissette got irony right in some of the song, but not in other parts of the song. And so ironically, she, you know, uh, a broken clock is right twice a day, you know. And so she she had some moments in that song that were ironic, but others that were just disappointing. (laughs) So... Yeah. Okay. Enough about Atlantis. Great <laughs> album. Great album. But that was actually must have been my least favorite song on that album. I was just over her very quickly. She really spoke to the teenage girl in me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She really did not connect much with the teenage girl in me, though. That's just okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, okay. <laughs> also Daisy has been asked to kill Yo-Yo because Yo-Yo doesn't think Mac can do it if she starts to turn. So Yo-Yo getting the Shrike. Did anyone think she was not going to survive this episode? I wondered. I wondered, I, but I, I, I don't know. I mean. I gave her low odds of Death Watch, but I did kind of put her on it. But I, I, I wasn't like, oh, oh, she's gone. But, you know, I was like, oh, they could they could take her out. Yeah, I was uh, similar. I, I didn't know what they were going to do, though, because. I didn't know who was in the cast for next season. And so if she, I think I knew Mac and Daisy would be in the cast for next season because of pro- promotional material that I saw that I remember, but yo-yo was, she was possibly off the table. I mean, it makes a little bit of sense to go back to as core group as you can get. You know, we obviously don't have um, Grant Ward, Brett Dalton, but we do have most everybody else. And so it'd be interesting if they, you know, cut out anybody who wasn't that core group of people. No. Mm-mm. Well, we got it a, said interesting. I didn't we've got say a it was big group I'd be of people cranky. now. Yeah, but I'd be, I mean, in a way I can understand uh, losing. Um, oh, I can't remember their names. 
we that's talked why about it's them. okay yes. to lose them. <laughs> we lo- we lost them last episode. Uh, they were like the Davis. Davis, yeah, and Piper. That's right. Um, did we lose Piper? Did we? I thought yeah, we did. I don't think so. I think we just lost Davis. Okay. I don't remember Piper dying. I seem to recall in the struggle to for um, Isaiah to get out that Piper was killed. I could be wrong. Well, we'll find that out. But, I mean, when we end this episode, there are, there are a lot of people on the Zephyr flying no, away. I was going to ask that. How many people are on the Zephyr? Well, we've got May, Simmons, Mac, Daisy, Yo-Yo, Enoch, right? Enoch? Uh, I thought he was at the base. At the very end. Not right now. Yeah. We know Fitz is still alive. Did did we just jump to the end? Yeah, we probably shouldn't. All I know that I, I remember very specifically is that Fitz and Simmons are split up again. Right. Yeah. And I have thoughts on that. Yeah, we'll get there. We're not there yet. Uh, okay, Tropy. Okay. So they're sending <laughs> off, uh, or they're sending off, they're going off to the temple to stop Sarge, who is, meanwhile, making nice with Izel. And it's very nice. The two of them are getting together again. Ain't it great to be together again until he starts getting murdery and choky with her because it's all her fault. He's in a human body to begin with. And as they're doing their thing, these amulets come flying out of the portal, which we've seen them, uh, but I'm kind of skipping ahead. Uh, and Izel decides she's going to go into the portal and find out what's going on in the portal that May was thrown into. And I'm just, this is what I'm getting a little bit, not, this is what's causing me to have second thoughts about this episode. It's just the whole Sarge Izel thing. Like, is is that connecting with me? Is this enough? Is this good enough for me uh, to go along? And they're wrapping up these plot threads, but it's not super satisfying to me right now on second it, thought. I, I'm not sure it means anything. Like, it, like Izel's bad, don't get me wrong. And Sarge is bad, don't get me wrong. But they're fighting. And S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't have a whole lot of place in it. They're not fighting S.H.I.E.L.D. They're fighting each other. Yeah, but I'm okay with that kind of thing when you. Okay, so S.H.I.E.L.D. is like dealing with the fallout of their conflict. And and S.H.I.E.L.D. is like trying to stop them and is, is having to deal with all this. But you're you're right in the sense that um, their main conflict with with each other and and shield is almost like i don't know insects as as they're fighting each other and well they're in the way yeah. for sure yeah um i well in a way that does sort of make interesting storytelling i mean you could go all the way back to the um ancient greeks and a lot of their storytelling has to deal with the humans trying to do their own thing and it's and it's sort of going on around the gods going to toe with each other um, which is, if you think about that, I mean, it, there's a sort of the same thing going on here, um, with, uh, between Sarge and Izel, um, mm-hmm. with, and then shield trying to survive around them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I liked this season up until the, this and the previous episode, the sign, um, cause 
I don't know. There was something about the tone or maybe it's because S.H.I.E.L.D. was not really all that involved in that final conflict, as you said, because the final conflict really was between Sarge and Izel. Um, But I when it came to this last two episodes, I just did not entirely connect well. It for me, it was just when they started explaining things like it was so interesting. Uh, Where did Sarge come from? How much of Sarge is Coulson? Mm. The mystery was really, really interesting. It was when they started explaining things that, and that often happens with uh, a mystery or often happens with any kind of like setup with this, where what's the truth, you know, here's, here's this mysterious figure or here's this murder or, you know, Oftentimes, it's not satisfying once you get the actual explanation. It's the the journey to get there is great. And then you get to the end. It's just like, that was it. Okay. Yeah. And and that's kind of how I'm feeling here is just this this explanation. Um, and uh, yeah, for any number of reasons, it's, it's just not satisfying to me. And I think we probably all would have very three very different reasons why it wasn't satisfying necessarily. Um. But what's going on around it is really cool and, yeah. and exciting. And there's a sword like this. This episode turns into Lord of the Rings, you know, or, or if not Lord of the Rings, some form of fantasy uh, sword and sorcery kind of thing. You got a magic sword. You got amulets opening portals and you've got low rent Nazgul. And, <laughs> you know, I also sort of got a uh, I was reminded more of Stargate because of the portal and jumping between worlds and the ancient gods versus the humans who are trying to stop them. Um, that's what I got with Stargate. Well, let's let's talk about that room that she was jumping between with the portal there, because that does remind me. Yeah, even set wise. Where. Oh, yeah. Because the, the, the first Stargate took them to like the the pyramid on that other planet and yeah and this of, is a pyramid yeah this is kind of temple room you know that she's in and yeah. um so yeah she's in this room with some rejects from lord of the rings nazgul casting call uh <laughs> she's got a sword sticking out of her gut so she does exactly what you are not supposed to do and she pulls it out but it doesn't matter because life and death have no meaning there. We find out later from Izel. But oh, and that's also because she's the Calvary. Yeah, yeah. She, she's, yeah. she would do that. But but in real life, if you get stabbed, let's say, or if like a very heavy branch falls and pierces your flesh. Um, Don't pull it out. Do not pull it out. If at all possible, do not pull it out. Let medical professionals be the ones who actually take it out of your body because the act of taking it out can sometimes allow bleeding to get worse. I mean, just do not pull it out unless you're able to take care of it right away. Now, Melinda did not need to take care of it. Uh, So she pulls out that sword though. And they're doing this kind of ceremony thing. They're unlocking the gate, the last gate between ours uh, our dimension and Izel's dimension. Uh, and then Izel comes in because those amulets were thrown out because you know what? May's awesome. And she interrupts the ceremony and Izel comes, they fight 
and you got some good fight stuff going on here. But Izal wins, puts the amulets in the right place to open the gate, and she goes back to the Earth realm. And now we have, I don't know, a dimensional army is going to come in. My problem with all of this stuff is that Izal and Sarge come from a dimension that they described as not having physical form. Right? Yeah, that caught me too. But these beings have physical form in their realm, in their dimension or, or on their world. I, I didn't understand that either. I mean, I mean, we could kind of no prize it, you know, which people who aren't familiar with the no prize, that's when the consumer of the media gives an explanation that proves that the people who made the media aren't wrong. And so that was a, I mean, it was a jokey thing in Marvel comics where they're like, well, we don't make mistakes. And here's so-and-so's explanation for why this was not a mistake when Iron Man's armor was orange throughout the entire, entire issue or whatever. But you could say, you know, it's like Star Trek Voyager where when they arrived um, across the galaxy in the first episode and they went to this place where it's this non-corporeal realm, but it took a, a physical form uh, from the minds of the humans to allow them to be able to interact with the, these energy beings. Uh, I, I, I just – the whole point of this is that Sarge was not happy about having this physical body and and then everything that's on the other side of the portal is physical or at least metaphorical. But they never really draw out that – that you know, this is a metaphor, and and May's body is because I predicted this that May went into this other realm, and that she would be healed because it's you know when she come when she goes into it, she's not physical anymore. But I don't know. So this is why things are not not gelling with me. Yeah, you know what it might be is that. Um... They did some really great writing earlier in the season, and then maybe the finale was a bit uh, scrambled, or, or it was just it was hurried along, and so maybe they needed to do another one or more, um, one or two more drafts with the script before they should have started shooting. Or they so just they had a hard like, time following through on the sci-fi concept. Or the, yeah, and we're just oh. well, it's gonna be a lot easier if we do it this way. Maybe that's it. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's just maybe. as simple as that, but. Yeah, because I've, I've pre- I have liked this season so far. It's just like I said, the these last two episodes are just kind of, eh, just have been not coming up to the plate as the previous episodes in this season. Yeah, yeah. Izel is such a big bad that she can't even be touched by our team. So what are they going to use to kill her, to get rid of her? And the only thing they really can use is Sarge. Yeah, yeah. and the sword. Yeah. Yeah. And the sword. But I mean, because that's, that's what they do. Use. To the person and... Yeah. Uh, okay. So Mac, Daisy, and Yo Yo, they come in. Deke is around, but he's, he's kind of uh, helping take care of the Shrike. But they confront Sarge, and it's fight time. And this is where my first viewing, I was really enamored by this. It's the Avatar syndrome, where when you first go and see Avatar in the theater, you're just like, this is so beautiful and immersive and wonderful. And then when you step away from it, you're like, but that stunk. 
that wasn't a good movie at all, but it was beautiful. And this is where like this battle was great. And actually maybe it was not fair to bring up avatar because this is not as bad as that dichotomy there, but um, this didn't have unobtainium, and for that, it will always be better than Avatar. <laughs> I still have not seen Avatar, and it, I have had a couple opportunities where, you know, I had like a free afternoon. I, I could have watched it, and I was like, nah. I it's, I loved it when I first saw it. When I watched it, I was raving about it. And in fact, in my first podcast ever, uh, it was in like the first two episodes the whole podcast only lasted like three episodes or four episodes and it's not available anywhere. You can't find it anywhere. But uh, we talked about Avatar and I went to bat for that movie and Steve McDonald, who joined me on Strangers and Aliens afterward that we launched out a podcast that actually lasted. Um, we argued about it like that was the main topic was he and I arguing about Avatar. Is it good? And I was like, yes, this is amazing, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, no, no, no. I can't bring myself to watch it again, though. And I haven't been able to bring myself to watch it because it's long and the story's not great. But it was so beautiful and amazing in the theater. Yeah. In 3D. Oh, my goodness. Yes, absolutely. It was it was visually stunning. And then they wrote an obtainium. And I was like, no, done. (laughs) (laughs) There was one haunting moment for me. And that was when the main dude um, put himself into the body of the Navi or whatever, and is able to run for the first time because he's paralyzed. And so when he goes running, uh, that was a great moment, a very emotional moment. And a really, mm-hmm. um, what, what my film instructor called a haunting moment, which is something that sticks with you outside of the context of the movie. Um, it just, you know, so a, a really awful movie could still have a really amazing and beautiful haunting moment. Um, but a really good movie is going to have a couple of them. And, you know, it's the bad movie is going to have it more accidentally, maybe like (laughs) they accidentally stumbled on some really good filmmaking or something like that. But anyway, uh, so, yeah, so they we get the fight scene and there's some good stuff going on with the fight scene, though, where they're using the sword and they're using the powers and they're using, you know, and they're doing all this stuff. And Sarge, his body's getting like blown away by Quake's power and you get to see like what he looks like, except that they don't have a physical form. So how does he look like that? So I and he have... looks nothing like the, uh, the hooded figures, the face of the hooded figure and the other side of that door or the portal. Well, but they were hooded to, <laughs> to, to me. He looked like Ultron. Like uh, I must've been yeah. looking down for a minute and then I looked up and I was like, well, what, I don't hear James Spader. What's going on? Yeah, maybe if Ultron was like uh, flesh. Low rent TV Ultron. If he's yeah. organic. Yeah. I might have to go. I, well, I probably won't go back and watch it again. But I mean, I'm just thinking of the hooded figure we saw on the other side of that portal that just looked like a human face that was painted white. You know, with the, not a lot of production put into the makeup whereas when we saw the actual sarge with the colson stripped away then we saw something that was truly alien and was really cool looking by the way yeah. like i i'm poking fun at it a little bit right now it was really cool looking and it the was. whole like colson's 
visage going away and then getting pulled back in. And there was some really neat, I mean, they really saved money for the special effects in that final battle with, with, with Sarge. Um, and then you have May and Izel come back in, you have yo-yo turning and having the, all, you know, the Shrike stuff going on in her body. Um, it's just all this stuff is happening. Uh, May kills Izel, saves yo-yo because of, uh, droid army episode one syndrome where destroy the one thing and then it stops everything. And I shouldn't even say that. Let's, let's go to Avengers with it too. Um, uh, with, with the Centauri in the, the first Avengers, but, um, sure. yeah. Mac then cuts Sarge in half. Like there's some really exciting and interesting and visual stuff going on in this final conflict. And, yeah, I'm perking up talking about it, you know, like all the other stuff we were talking about, like, oh, maybe, you know, but here I'm talking about this battle. Like this still is exciting. Like this was a good, good stuff. And I will be watching it again um, before next summer because we're still making our way slowly through uh, the entire series with my with my kids. But um, this was a great scene. And I just love the way they pulled together. I love a good team superhero battle when the team members are all using their powers as a team you know, and, and using their different powers and different abilities. And, and when the writer and, and the, you know, the coordinator, stunt coordinator, or the artist, if you're reading a comic are able to really pull it all together and, and make, make it work where quake powers are happening and yo-yo powers are happening. And, but she's infected with the strike and that's happening. And, um, and Matt gets to cut him in half with a sword. You know, I mean, this is, this is cool moments, sad moments mm-hmm. though, because potentially, this is the last time we see potentially this would be the last time we would see Clark Gregg, but we'll get to it because <laughs> yeah. it's not going to be the last time we see Clark Gregg. Well, maybe that's what's bothering about this us about this episode is that we were told that, that the Shatari had no physical form and then we see physical forms. Maybe that's just, it, it comes down to just that. It could be, it could be. Yeah. Because they 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 supposedly don't have these physical forms, but they do have these gems that they need to use to open up portals, which are physical things. Yeah, these are physical. Just, yeah. And now maybe though, maybe the setup that we are talking about with the physical and non corporeal and that whole explanation, maybe there was uh, a little bit of unreliable narrator going on there, because that's all stuff that Izel told Sarge about their backstory. And so maybe some of that was unreliable, but they created this very alien thing because these are living creatures without even a physical body. And, you know, they, they, they sing to each other and with each other and, you know, he can feel her song and it's these sci-fi concepts, but it's very hard to visualize that kind of a sci-fi concept. I mean, how do you visualize a non-corporeal, realm where may gets thrown in there and has to stop something from happening. You don't, you don't, you have to visualize it some way. And that Star Trek Voyager episode I was talking about, they just dealt with it by having an alien creature visualize it for the crew. And they, it was a part of the show, part of the episode. Um, was it, what did they call him? The caretaker. That was a pretty good episode. Honestly, it was a pretty strong opening for Voyager. Like that was yeah. a, that was a good pilot episode. 
Very much so. One of the one of the better ones, honestly. Maybe the best, except for Discovery. No, it'd be yeah. Discovery, Deep Space Nine, then Voyager as far as pilot episodes and their strengths. You mean you don't like um, Space Jellyfish? Actually, I do like it, <laughs> mm. but that doesn't mean it's a strong pilot episode. <laughs> you got picked up for seven seasons. I don't know how strong it's not, but it yes. got better with every season That's up true. until whenever like it, it peaked a little bit toward the, the end. But anyway, mm. how to start Trek podcast. <laughs> yeah. So here's the bad thing. Uh, Clark Gregg gone. Uh, Sarge was evil. And I still think there was some good to him, but it was the company he kept. And when he was with Izel, you know, sometimes having a relationship with the wrong person brings out the wrong parts in you. I was going to compare him to Darth Vader or Anakin Skywalker and then jokingly call him Sarge Vader. Yeah, it works. I mean, yeah, it works. Know, yeah, it's funny. It's, it's a slide rhyme, and it fits your analogy that you were going to compare him. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we probably put. It's not as funny now that we've analyzed it and talked through why it could be <laughs> funny. Because um, if you have to explain it, it's not. But yeah, I, I think it would have worked. I shouldn't say it would have. It did. You you said it. Okay. So it, it did good. Work. Yeah, yeah. Not knowing who was in the cast for next season. I thought this was a good way for for us to wrap up the Coulson character. I okay, so I didn't though, and that's because my expectation of this whole Sarge arc was that Sarge was going to turn toward the good, maybe still be killed in the end, but turn toward the good because of the influence that Sarge had on him or that, that Coulson had on him, and it'd be kind of Coulson's legacy allowed Sarge to turn to the good, be the Darth Vader, throw the emperor over the ledge, you know, or, or whatever it might be. Um, I don't know, but maybe they would have done that if this had actually been the last season, maybe as they were writing through and, and, you know, like they were halfway through the season as far as writing goes when they knew they were going to be able to continue. And so maybe if they hadn't gotten a season seven, we would have gotten a different ending here where it would have been a noble sacrifice from Sarge and would have been like that final bit of Coulson's legacy causing Sarge to do the noble sacrifice and save the universe. I'm not too surprised. That that would have been a good wrap up though for this, the series, if that's where, what we're doing with Clark Gregg. Got to bring him back and how we're going to use him. Well, I'm not surprised he's returning for season seven because, like I said uh, last episode, look at what they did with Brett Dalton earlier in the series. I mean, how many times – I mean, in, in a way, if you really want to think about it, how many times did they kill him and then bring him back? Less times than they killed Coulson. It's, <laughs> it's sci-fi though, so you can do almost anything. And I mean they could have if they wanted to just written it so, OK, here's actual Coulson back. But And we'll get to – this ending here, like what we feel about what we feel about what we got, but may dying was a little bit of a surprise for me. And then may getting put into a stasis coffin. So she doesn't die was also a big surprise for me. So may's not dead. 
Honestly, the fact that we came out of here with all of our characters is kind of surprising. Yeah. Yeah, actually. Hmm. Well, maybe they're waiting until next season to kill someone off. Yeah, Um, nothing to lose next season because it's all over. So we'll see. Uh, Let's talk about the lighthouse then. At the lighthouse, there's no power because the Chronicom hunters are there and they take over quickly and easily. But Fitz and Simmons still on the run in the lighthouse and they realize that everything they do, the Chronicom are able to anticipate because the Chronicom know the protocols and they had a copy of their minds. Uh, So they lock everybody away and then they go to destroy the framework and they realize they're going to have to detonate a bomb to do this and they can't detonate it because power is down. So they can't detonate it remotely. They have to do so there with it. So they're going to, blow themselves up and take as many of the Chronicom as they can with them and destroy the framework. So the Chronicom can't have the framework, but then just before the hunters come and they get killed just in time by was it Isaiah, but it's not Isaiah. He talks with Enoch's voice. So that was a turn. I wasn't expecting. I liked that. I thought that was very clever. Yeah. I liked it too. And it works. Yeah, and it works within the 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 world that we've built with the Chronicoms too, because I mean, I, was it the beginning of last season? We did see a shadowy form of of um. Oh, his name escaped my head just now. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean the first season when we first see Enoch? Yes, Enoch. And when, he's, when we first, he's like in that yeah. shower, and he's like putting skin on. Yeah, well, we don't see him doing that, but we do see that, yeah, um, in shadow and in sort of like a cocoon sort of situation where there's a, you know, the shell is just sort of like tossed aside or however you want to describe it, the wrapping, the skin. Yeah. 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 But I, yeah, I thought I thought that was clever to, to have him pretend to be someone else. Yeah. And it works then. And so they're mm-hmm. able to, you know, kind of save the day there. Um and then he says he has a plan to fight the hunters, but they aren't going to like it. And what did that mean? Well, we still don't know exactly what it means, but that's some serious foreshadowing right there. Yeah. Yeah. So the Zephyr shows no, up. No, Actually, when when he said they aren't going to like it, I knew that that he was going to have to split them up. <laughs> I didn't know that he was going to have to split them up, but I wasn't sure what was going to have to happen. Um. And we'll talk about I it actually it because that's what the show does with this couple. They see, bring them together and then split them up just back and forth. <laughs> so the Zephyr shows up at the temple and it turns out that it's actually been hugely upgraded. Uh, they have the coffin thing for for May to go into to save her life so she doesn't die. Uh, and they're like, well, how did you do this? And, and Simmons says, we've had time which was a good line. Um, and so you've got, they, they take May, put her in a stasis container. They take samples from the monoliths. They go and they don't need a pilot because it's been upgraded, which is good because May's in, <laughs> in the stasis container. Um, they have a jump drive that can send them through time and it sends them back in time to New York in the thirties. I believe it's going to be. And, Fitz and Simmons are not allowed to know where each other is. 
And so the thing is when Simmons comes to pick them up and before we realize Fitz is not with her, um, the way she was acting, I was wondering if she was a Chronicom now. If if like the thing that he says, I have a plan, but you're not going to like it was you're going to have to download your minds into a Chronicom body and that's how you're going to survive. And, I would be willing to bet that that's totally what happened. Well, because she's acting. She is acting very strange. Yes. And and it doesn't feel like she's acting strange because she's upset emotionally. But it could be. It could be. That's exactly what it is. But I just was wondering, like, is what is going on here? You know, is that actually Simmons? The thing that makes me wonder that if I'm wrong or not is that then they turn around and they're like, well, we need someone to help guide us. Um, and who knows this era best other than than our buddy? And we need to let him help us make the decision, but we can't, you know, but we need to talk this through before we decide to activate it. And then Daisy's all, nope, boom, activate and hits the button. And it brings to life Phil Coulson, LMD. I like that. I like that. I actually I, did like that. Yeah. Um, I think it was fun that they went back in time to the late twenties, early thirties. I think it's going to be fun to, um, maybe not interact with, uh, agent Carter, but definitely be in that old timey era. Yeah. So this is the era before the SSR. Oh, that's right. I I would assume anyway. I mean, this is at least, I don't know, 10, 15 years before world war two SSR. So, but anyway, so we're, we're in this back in time era. Um, it's, uh, those are always fun. I hope they don't slingshot us forward too early because it would be fun to see, you know, who they interact with. Um, you gotta think that season seven is going to be kind of a love letter to the MCU. It's gotta be, it's got to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to armchair write this thing, but you would think that with the blessing of Kevin Feige post end game, you know, it's, it's, it's maybe not necessarily right between the now and, and, and what we're going into. Um, because it's, if it's a summer, it's going to be concurrent with black widow or whatever, but it would, I feel like it's going to be a love letter to the MCU, at least to the show, at least to the agents of shield show. Yeah. Which yeah. technically coexists. Well, so. but here's the thing. If they're going to be doing this anyway, then going back in time here for the end of the show, first of all, it allows them to, I think, bring things around a little bit full circle. Um, mm-hmm. But at least they're going to be looking at the, the roots of, of shield, you know, and, and the beginnings of shield and, and if not actual beginning of SSR, um, looking at, you know, some of the founders of the SSR. And then the question I have, I mean, there was the question of Enoch, you know, it is our Fitz and Simmons. Are they in Chronicom bodies now? Because what Enoch says, I, I've got it right here is um, he says, this will be the hardest you have thing you've ever done. And she's and Gemma says, I doubt that. And Fitz says, nothing's ever easy with you, is it? And then Gemma says, what do you want us to do? And Enoch says, change the natural course of your lives forever. And so when she shows up and she's kind of acting emotionless, I'm wondering. But the other thing I'm wondering. I mean, 
Oh, go ahead. I was going to say she could be an LMD. She could. She could. Uh, the reason I think that she might not be a Chronicom or an LMD is because they're using that with Coulson right now. Like he, he's the LMD and are they going to, are they going to have more robot bodies for our main cast? I, I don't know. Everybody gets a robot body. I think part of the reason why she's actually acting this way is because there actually has been a for her, a significant amount of time between that conversation with Enoch and when she actually did find, um, the, the shield crew in that temple. Well, and you could look at it as emotionless, you could look mm-hmm. at it as repressing emotion. So she's not having to deal with the emotion of, okay, I'm here. I'm back after having gone through some sort of time thing. I'm back now and having to deal with all these emotions again. Uh, and it could just be businesslike. And we've got some things we need to do right here. Let's get them done. And then we can have our emotional reunion. And yeah. can, and applaud to her, the Natasha... Henstridge is that her is that her Natasha, Natasha Henstridge? Henstridge yeah I think okay. so yeah. um applaud to her because she's playing it with such on such a tightrope that you know we're asking all these questions right yeah yeah uh so the other question I'm asking myself and wondering what they're going to be doing is is this going to be like a time hopping kind of thing where we're going to see multiple time periods is this going to be where they're all just in that one time period for the whole season. Um, and they're just dealing with the thirties, but I, I don't know. I mean, the, this setup as much as I have talked about how I didn't want time travel in my MCU, even though I love time travel, love, 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 love time travel. I was saying, I don't want time travel in the MCU because it makes things a little bit less clean. We're past the point of no return. Time travel has happened, happened a lot. Uh, it's happened in a movie. It's happened in, you know, season five. The genie's out of the bottle. We can't put it back in. And so this setup really excites me. Just the possibilities of what they're looking at doing. They've got this cloaked ship that goes through time. And yeah, they could go to That's- different points, important points in time. Um, it's kind of like that, game, I guess, but. Yeah. I'm hoping at some point that we will run into the TARDIS and the Doctor. <laughs> I am not. And Andrew Garfield r- living in Hooverville in um, Central Park. <laughs> no. No, I'm no, no, no. I don't want that. What I want is you guys all know what I want. And I think you want it, too. We want Agent Carter. Yeah, oh, that'd be fantastic. It would be awesome yeah. as if they would wrap up Agent Carter talking about cliffhangers that don't get resolved. I mean, no one cares about Inhumans cliffhanger that didn't get resolved, but we could go there too. Um, even though we basically got the resolution for that. I think that the whole um, the whole uh, season five where they were trying to avoid um, the destruction of the world because of the coming of the of the Kree. Um, I think that's probably what the Inhumans were expecting to be a part of. But they weren't. But as they're talking about this, you know, thing that's coming that's so terrible, it's going to destroy the world. Um, man, Anson Mount in Star Trek Discovery makes me really, really sad for what we missed out on 
within humans, either in developing well, his character beyond first season or being able to do more with his character that they didn't allow him to in first season. That's a tough ask because not being able to talk yeah. is a huge deal. But he was fantastic in Discovery. Oh, he absolutely he was. He was great in Inhumans too. I mean, he was one of the shining points of Inhumans was just the way he threw himself into things, created his own sign language. Um, I mean, this is... I mean, the man is, he's an actor, so he's very expressive in his face and he can obviously do a whole performance without saying very much at all, if anything. He is, he is one of two, maybe three times that Star Trek almost brought me to tears though. Yeah. Yeah. In, in discovery, um, the episode where he accepts his fate. Mm hmm. It, I had a lump in my throat and I was just um, really emotionally invested, obviously, but mm -hmm. uh, it was him. I actually sent him a message about that. I, I'm positive that he didn't get it, um, but I sent it to his personal assistant who had contacted us about the podcast. We mm -hmm. actually came this close. You can't see my fingers. But we came very close to having an interview with him. <laughs> um, and I dug up that old email thread and just sent a message to his personal assistant to say, I don't know if you're even going to get this. I don't know if he's going to get this, but I, I, that's, I don't send stuff like that. And I did for him because it was just so touching. Well, when we have our um, Star Trek Discovery podcast, we'll be <laughs> sure to get him on. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just write him again, you know. And, yeah, you know, yeah. your friends. Yeah. Well, I'm friends <laughs> with his personal assistant by email <laughs> thread uh, that went well, nowhere. <laughs> but, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, Marina Sirtis liked one of my tweets, so I'm pretty much, you know, on the same level now. Yeah, so yeah. it's fine. Uh, we're we're, we're basically sci-fi royalty right now. Is what we're we saying. are yeah. pretty much, mm -hmm. um, or not? <laughs> I want okay. So for this being in the 30s, I mean, they did they did peg it sort of being with the the Empire State Building being the tallest building in the world, and that only lasted for a certain time. So. That also, time frame um, was pretty established. Yeah, and also uh, Daisy mentioned something about it's it's illegal to buy a drink. Right, right. Yeah. So prohibition was the twenties, right? Yeah, I think yeah. up until thirty, yeah. thirty-one, something like that. Yeah. Again, Daniel Butcher, please call in and correct us all. <laughs> oh, or you know, just return to the show for one episode. <laughs> History lessons with Daniel Butcher. Yeah. Um, so, and as of right now, the 30s are an unexplored part of the MCU. So that's going to be interesting to to set down and explore a little bit to see what we got going on. Uh, Prohibition was officially repealed, or whatever you would call it, in 33. So there's that. Right, but Daisy could not know that where they actually are. I think maybe she did know, because it, it, here's why. Um, Let's see the world, not the World Trade Center, the Empire State Building. They're building it, right? Are they still working on it? King Kong has not climbed it yet. Yeah, King Kong hadn't climbed it yet, and the radio tower on, and they had yet to put it on in the image we saw. Isn't that made out of Dalek parts, though? Yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, jokes about Doctor Who, Stargate, Star Trek. 
Star Wars. It was the tallest building in the world, according to Wikipedia, from 1931 to 1970. Oh, and then they built the, the World Trade Center. So we're yeah. looking at early 30s. Yep. Also, I read an interview with the producers. <laughs> so like as much as I'm trying to be like, hey, yeah, all these clues that I just figured out. I also read a interview with the producer. So they were talking about early 30s, 31, 30 right in there. So it's again, don't know anything about that as far as the MCU goes. It's going to be interested, interesting to see what is brought to light, who gets to come back, who's a relative of who gets to come back. You know, I doubt we'll see Howard Stark. And the nice thing well, here is. But why not? The nice thing here is that we, we also don't have to worry about lining up with whatever is going on in the rest of the MCU. Right. Yeah. We don't have to figure because Agent Carter took place in the 40s, right? Right. Yeah. And we don't have to worry about what's going on with. um the Disney Plus, the MCU shows on Disney Plus. We don't yeah. have to worry about lining up with um, Falcon and uh, Endgame and and such yeah. like that. Yeah, this is a smart move, and for those reasons, unfortunately, we've already gotten jarred away. Yeah, uh, I mean, in in my head, that I think that Agents of Shield, even throughout this season, it's in an alternate timeline, but it it's still somehow MCU. Um, and it's because they went into the future and then they came back with knowledge of the future and that future looked nothing like what had happened in the movies. So, yeah, but, um, yeah, but they erased everything that happened in the movies. Right. And when they came back, they altered the timeline. So therefore they were in an alternate timeline. That's definite. The other thing I was reading about is that like the MCU timeline now with the movies is actually, in like 2024 like that's far from home was in 2024 or 2025 and so really yeah i didn't read that yeah well yeah because because of time passing yeah yeah and and so anything they do in the present day so like if shang chi master kung fu uh takes place present day mcu it's actually future for us right now um, as far as like we are sitting here in, in 2019. Right. Because of the five year slash blip thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So I, I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll, we will find out. I'm, I'm assuming we will find out. Uh, but it is interesting that black widow, our next movie is actually stepping backward in time. And and is a, a flashback movie. So it had to be. Well, it would have to be to be Black Widow. Yeah. Um. But if they didn't do Black Widow, it would. They don't have to go back and show the past. But it is interesting that we have this time jump five years in the future, and then we have uh, the next movie after that. Doesn't it have something to do with right after Civil War? Yeah. Yeah. So she leaves right after Civil War, and this is the story of that. But then I think it also jumps back and does the 
probably a similar thing to Captain Marvel. So we will see. We will see. But it's interesting that both these elements, both these arms of the MCU are, are going backward in, in time. And Well, that's pretty popular these days, right? I mean, that's what Discovery did. Yeah, and got blasted for it because – Oh, that's true. Uh, the, the difference is they're not making uh, the past in the MCU look like a future. The future. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. So, yeah, with Discoveries, uh, they did a good job, though, in Discovery, um, no prizing why Discovery looked so <laughs> much more technologically advanced and why the Enterprise had – like they retrofitted the Enterprise to be less – uh, technologically advanced, like they right. they they had an explanation for why it looked the way it did in the '60s series. Yeah, I mean it's a it's it's the word explanation with quotes around it. I mean it was an explanation, but eh. I mean I don't know that they should have that they needed to do it, but part of me is glad they did, and part of me is like really well. Part of me is like I'm glad they did, but part of me is also that's kind of silly. <laughs> exactly exactly but it's there and, and it's a thing and there's a lot of stuff in star trek that's silly so yeah oh yeah well. same thing about the klingons look I mean, I mean i know they have an explanation but really the makeup just got better <laughs> in between yeah. tng yeah. well and, and the discovery and, explanation for why they look so so different in the first season of discovery was actually a pretty decent one in in the in-universe explanation that they had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, and then the, the <laughs> basically, Enterprise ex- basically they all cut their hair because that's one of the things they do when they go to war, shave their heads. No. So, no. Uh, no. It, it worked and for it me. It just took 70 years for it to grow back. <laughs> <laughs> it grew I back just, the next season. <laughs> I just don't accept that. I still don't. <laughs> it grew back season two. I liked it. It worked. Worked well enough. Let's put it that way. Yeah, you keep saying that. Hey, okay. So Coulson's back. LMD Coulson. Let's let's finish up with that. Coulson is what brought us into the MCU with this show. Um, He's an LMD now, which is what we thought he would be maybe in first season. When we were doing episodes about the trailer and the previews, uh, we wondered, okay, is this guy an LMD? There were also people who were wondering, okay, is Coulson actually Vision? Uh, that was some interesting uh, theorizing that was going on there. But Coulson was not an LMD. He was brought back to life with the brain surgery that he hated and that caused him to feel suicidal at some points. And then he survives. He moves on. He grows as a character. He dies at the end of season five or between seasons anyway. And now he's back as this thing that we wondered if he might be. In the first place, LMD Coulson. Great thing as far as like roots of the character and roots of S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean, LMDs are in the first Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Nick Fury issue. They're there. And so great callback. But how do you feel about just the actuality of it? Well, I, like you said, LMDs are everywhere. They're in the... Mm, which Iron Man are they in? The Avengers? Were they in Iron Man? Well, I, at one point, 
Tony goes, you've reached the life model decoy. You're Tony right. Stark, my consulting hours. That blah, was blah, 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 in, blah. that was in Avengers. That was in Avengers. Yeah. When so, he was doing the fake voicemail, you're right. I forgot about that. Right. So my question is what happens if this LMD stays in the past? Does that mean the Coulson that got stabbed in Avengers is an LMD? Oh, see, you this just asked you a question. Like time travel. No, this is why I love time travel. And if they did that, yeah, no, I love time travel for those very reasons. How I'm, okay. yeah, that would be so cool. So where's real Coulson come from or go to? Or maybe the movies are a spinoff of what we see in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Or maybe not. I don't know. Man, Stuart, if they did that, I would be very excited. And and you deserve a prize of some sort um, if if they did that for calling that well, one, because that would be really cool. I, I thank you. Um, I don't know that. I mean, I, that's that's pretty stretch, stretchy kind of thing. Right. You know, and sketchy, because then you're rewriting, you know, one of the biggest movie, the biggest movie franchise of all time. Right don't care because it's just the Colson part of it, you know? <laughs> right. And, and so you get into some hinky time travel stuff with, okay, so this Colson person was created in whatever, whatever we are in now, 2019, went back to the 1930s, survived through the 1930s, watched Captain America do what he did, became a fan of Captain America because of that. But he has the knowledge. This is where it gets hinky is he has the knowledge of Coulson from Coulson's entire life put into him when he's first created. And so it's this circular thing of, well, where did that come from and where was the starting point? There has to be a starting point. You know, you can't have a, a thing create itself because, you know, you have to have a starting point. There has to be a, a birthing. If point. if they did that. That I agree, that would be pretty cool. I'm not sure it would make great television for people who don't know the MCU. Yeah. Now, my other question is, are we trying to attract new viewers at this point? Nope. <laughs> so no. why? Why? Yeah. If you're going to attract a new a new viewer, it's going to be through Netflix or through Disney Plus. Right. They're so going to find the find season one, episode one and start from there. Right. So therefore it would be right on perfect to do it for us, you know, to make, to again, to make season seven, this love letter to the MCU through the eyes of Coulson. And, you know, I'd love to see it where they fast forward to the end of, or, you know, to, to Avengers and, and have him go like a, almost a wink at the camera, like, Oh, here's what happens. You know, mm. right. As he gets stabbed. I mean, that'd be kind of fun. Yeah. You know, the the problem with that is um, it's just it's the Wolverine Origins syndrome where <laughs> you have the opening credits of Wolverine Origins and it's this incredible movie. <laughs> like the opening credits should have been two hours long and then the rest of the movie should have been five minutes long instead of the opposite, because that was the movie I wanted to see was Wolverine through time going through mm -hmm. time long lived uh mutant dealing with all these different wars and basically he was a part of every war in history since his birth <laughs> uh 
Uh, and I'm just wondering, like, could they end it on something like that where you get a six minute montage of Colson LMD, whether or not it's, it ends up being like the Colson we know and love. Um, but Colson NMD LMD, uh, living through these various points of Marvel MCU history and not force gumping it, you know, <laughs> not, not putting him into every scene with it, but ha- allowing him to see, not, you know, the news report or, or see it off in the distance or, you know, just him and like Cap that. are just hanging out being buds. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's just like every, you know, he's, he's in the, he's in the alley watching cap get beat up, you know, as a, as a scrawny Steve Rogers, you know, and he's, but right. Oh, we didn't see him behind the fence there. You know, I, I don't want to force gump it. Uh, no, but no, but I mean, if you think about it, if we're going to be time hopping around, what would be cool is at the end in the last episode, we do see uh, Peggy Carter and Steve Rogers together. And they're making an appearance and saying hi. That would be I'd be happy with that. <laughs> well, maybe instead of that, you just have Colson like standing outside their window watching them dance. You know, just oh, that'd be creepy. <laughs> In oh. the rain. <laughs> oh, no. Can he be holding a boombox? <laughs> <laughs> See, this is the problem with, with doing stuff like this. You get the 15 minute goodbye scene from one of the last David Tennant Doctor Who's where he goes and sees all of his like relatives and family and friends and same with Deep Space Nine. Yeah, same with Deep Space Nine. They had that whole 15 minute montage that left out Jadzia completely. Yeah, but Jadzia was dead. But she was still a part of the other people's memories. (laughs) They didn't use anything with Jadzia. Yeah, uh, but I, this is more, you're, you know, talking about pilot episodes, you know, now let's talk about finales that we're, which we're looking toward now. Um, All Good Things from Next Generation is a fantastic finale in the way that it just uses the entire series, but really goes back to the beginning of the series. Before the beginning, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. At- and honestly, before the beginning of time, but you before know, the well, before the first scene of the of the pilot episode, yeah. they're they they they're coming in on Picard taking over this mm-hmm. new ship and, and being the first captain for Enterprise D, and then and then you have the present day stuff that's happening with them, and then you have this future stuff that's happening with them, and it all merges together in a way that only sci-fi can do. Um, but that's I think. Next Generation has the single best series finale of any TV series I've ever seen. Uh, MASH comes really close and Cheers, very good. But but the way that it just does this wraparound, does this bookend, and honestly, in a lot of ways, makes the pilot episode a better episode. Because Absolutely. of the way that Absolutely. they reference it and and use and, it, and uh, Brandon Braga and Ron Moore work really. I mean, they work really hard on that, and then they got put into Generations, which it, was literally like right after, and so it, it you can tell that Generations suffered for it. Um, well, because they put all the thought into 
in yeah. the finale. <laughs> yeah, they should have made that a movie, to be honest. It would have been a great movie, but it also makes a great two-hour episode of yeah, TV. Yeah, it, so. it is great. Yeah, whichever format it comes in. Um, mm-hmm. And so I would say now that they are using time travel here, we could probably get something like that. And I don't know if it's going to bring it around full circle, which I've talked about this before, potentially on this podcast. I'm not sure, but I love circular storytelling where Mm -hmm. the story takes you from point A to point B to point C to point D and then back around one way or another to point A. With time travel, you literally can go back to point A. Um, but it, it could be, you know, thematically going back to point a, or it could be physically coming back to the same place, um, coming back to that central conflict that you first started with. But this, the circular storytelling is something that I really love, um, and, and tend to put into my own, my own writing, uh, but not, not in a way that resets it, right? No, no. In a way that, that moves. Yeah. You're not resetting it you're coming back to it and using it mm-hmm. um whether it's to springboard out and say okay the adventure is just beginning kind of thing but mm-hmm. yeah yeah you're, I mean, you're you're not going back to retell it you're going back to um revisit it that's what i mean buffy and and means take a step back the only way that works is if you have a situation wherein you can right to a conclusion and usually that comes when you are stepping away from the show or you've been given okay you're going to be done in two seasons or you know whatever right so star trek ds9 next generation uh voyager all wrote to a conclusion they all knew what they were writing to buffy did the same thing cheers all of that Buffy's was interesting because they literally destroyed the town and like well we're moving on (laughs) So, well, that's a little else from the prairie. Um, yeah. they, they blew up the whole town because the, the people were coming in the, whatever the land developers or the railroad, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but they literally used explosives to blow up the buildings in Walnut Grove. And, well, and I loved it. And then they walk away singing onward Christian soldiers, which is their, <laughs> their go-to hymn for their Sunday services too. Well, and what's interesting about that is it's, you know, Little House on the Prairie was, correct me if I'm wrong, but not serialized at all. It was, you know, morality tales. And well, they had some serialization going on uh, where they would have like a a series of episodes that were dealing with, you know, one series of episodes. They actually moved to was it Mankato or whatever um, and Mm. and had this series of episodes there. Um, There was some soap opera ness to it. Mm. It, it, but it was serialized soap opera, not necessarily here's our season long arc. Mm. Okay. Well, but still now we live in a world where this is heavily serialized, mm-hmm. right? Even next generation wasn't serialized nearly as much as no. this was, or even DS nine was. And so that's a very interesting conundrum. We find ourselves in how does this show end compared to um, other shows out there right now. Well, and the main advantage that they get is they knew they right. were given on a platter another season 
they were told then you have another season right to it. So they knew this season was not the end and they know next season is. And so they're able to wrap it up, say they're done, say their goodbyes, do the 15 minute montage instead of a to be continued that may never be continued. <laughs> and, right. Uh, so right. this is, yeah, I mean, and it's nice when you get the TV movie. So Farscape got the TV movie that was able to finish up, you know, some of their threads and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have the the Babylon five situation where he was going to end it with season four shot the, the final episode. And then they said, no, we're going to give you one more season, figure it out. And so he wrote a whole nother season and, and then used that final episode that they'd already shot because there's a time jump in there. And, mm-hmm. um, which is the final season, fifth season, not as great, but it's still, still good television. That's, uh, Straczynski, um, he's a, he's a madman powerhouse of good storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. I've started to watch that several times and never, never finished it. Gotta get, yeah. In second and third season, it's really, yes. When it I, jumps I, into I know I got through, I know I got through to the second and third season. I think yeah. definitely the second season, I think the third season, but I haven't seen, a, a show end it now like you know currently in a long time i can't think of the shows the last time i saw an ending of a show lost maybe yeah i can't think that of one off the top of my head i know i've seen some though big bang theory big bang theory had a very good ending again wasn't super serialized but you know there was threads you could follow through yeah and well with big bang theory they did all the things i thought they were going to do they were going to fix that elevator sheldon was going to get a nobel prize sorry if i'm spoiling it for anybody probably not um spoiling it for me but i'm never going to watch it ever (laughs) i hate that show so much i still don't know why you hate that show just mm. hey don't yum my, my yuck okay <laughs> like, okay um, allow sure. me to hate it okay you okay, then you go you right go ahead. do your thing yeah just okay would you like me to get off your lawn and <laughs> no i just want you to let me turn that phrase okay twist it into my own evil purposes don't do yum it. my yuck go for it <laughs> Yeah, I well, think that was the last that was the last TV series I saw at the end of. So, I mean, that makes sense. I I just I have a I have a feeling that we're going to get a very strong finale because they're able to write to it and and know that that's where they're going. It, and I don't have a I don't have the same feeling, but I have the hope that we're going to get that um, because I, I I mean Joss Whedon does write when he gets a chance. Buffy's the only one that that ever happened on. He does write to an ending. So I think we need to write to an ending now, too. I think we do, too. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm going to end this and not with uh, an ending. I'm going to throw it out to you guys to say what you'd like to say as we close this thing down. Uh, So go ahead and then. Final words. 
I want to just say thank you to everybody who's listening. And it's always awesome to get together and talk with these two fine people and talk about this show that we love. And I would like to give a special thank you to our Patreon patrons, Andrew, Jeffrey, Tassel084, Blessed Cheesemaker, Dre, and our new Patreon patron, David. Thank you all so very much. Yeah, uh, to be fair, he's not super new. He's been a patron for a while. But, um, you know, scheduling and weirdness and yeah. we are behind and we apologize, David, for not putting you in the list sooner. But we do still thank you as well for for backing us and for, um, yeah, dude, thank you. And I'm going to say thank you. I, I'm going to say it five times because you've been a patron for five months, it says here. So thank you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Thank okay, you. Thank you. Also going to say sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> it's on me, not on Samantha. She only has information that I have given her. And today I was just like, you know what? I'm going to check on that list. And I'm glad I did. So, David, again, thank you very much. Yes, David. Thank you. So. For me, I am going to end this on a way that just like they did, it is not actually an ending. I want to say thank you so much. We are not ending here. It is just a beginning. And in that in that spirit, I just want to say, hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Welcome to Level 7. You've heard us, now we'd love to hear from you. Go to welcometolevel7.com slash feedback where you can contact us through our website. You can also leave us a voicemail by calling one 55 level 7 You can also join the lively conversation going on at facebook.com slash welcometolevel7 or connect with us on Twitter where we're level7pod. And remember, the 7 is spelled out. Our theme music is The Light Fantastic by J.S. Earls, and you can find that at transplant.bandcamp.com. Welcome to Level 7 is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast, get productive in your personal and professional life, theorize over TV shows, laugh with our clean comedy, delve into science fiction and philosophy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx. And once again, thanks for listening. Hey, let's talk about a superhero movie. Okay. Stu, are you still there? I'm still here. I'm questioning whether or not that's actually a superhero movie. Well, I, let's I talk just, about a just... superhero adjacent movie. All right. Oh, okay. I went and saw Joker. How was it? Uh, be in the right frame of mind when you go and see it. <laughs> like, know that you're not getting a superhero movie. It is not an MCU kind of movie. It is a prestige kind of thing like they made this it is artsy and it is uh nihilistic and it is um the word i used when i got home and my family was asking me what how it was i told them it was bleak and it is the origin of joker and so it is building up to uh this guy being joker Uh, but it reminds me of taxi driver which they talk about in some interviews i think um Definitely that gritty New York 70s uh, cinema verite kind of a vibe going on there. Crime movie. So, yeah. Strong movie, strong performances. If it hadn't been Joker, uh, it wouldn't have had quite the impact uh, of the ending because it's like 
you know, it's like Revenge of the Sith where it's all building up toward one thing, which is Darth Vader. Now, whether it's as satisfying as that or more satisfying is a question. I, but it sticks with you. You want to talk about haunting moments. It, it sticks with you. And so be careful and don't take your kids to see it unless they are really, really mature and able to sit through a boring movie. Because if I had seen this when I was eight, I would have been horrified and bored at the same time. <laughs> so so, so it, it's really not for kids. No, <laughs> from no, what I've heard. Yeah, not at all. Uh, I looked up the guy who directed it, Todd Phillips. Yeah, he directed all three of the hangover movies. I know. I, I he's known for comedy, right? Yeah. Well, and this is not a comedy. There's some no. funny moments and there's some black comedy in it. Um yeah, uh but it's not it's not funny. And it's intentionally not funny. Like there's moments where it's supposed to be completely not funny and you're uncomfortable in this it's like Michael Scott and Scott's tots uncomfortable kind of thing where you're just like, Oh my goodness. I know where this is going. The difference is, um, you know, Mike, uh, Scott's tots didn't have any murder in it. And, and this does, no, he just, he just disappointed a bunch of kids. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. The ending of that didn't ring true either. You know, where they're like, yeah, uh, you've inspired us to finish high school. So there's that. Right. But, you know, there's – it's interesting too because there's moments where you're not sure what's true, what's not true. I I wish I could talk a little bit more about spoilers, but that's not what we're going to talk about right now because there's some stuff where it there's a really weird twist and then suddenly at the end I'm wondering, is there a twist on the twist? And you don't know because you don't know what's real, what's not and, and it's – it's it's a well-made movie, but not for everyone. Definitely. The Joaquin Phoenix performance was good, yes? Oh, my goodness. And it, it has to be because the camera is on him like 95% of the time. He's on mm. camera. Um, yeah, and I'm not going to get into details, but um, the emotion of his performance – is not necessarily an emotion that you're gonna be like, Oh, it resounds with me. And I'm going to have this, you know, I'm not, I wasn't choking up the way I did with Anson Mount with his, his performance and discovery, but the emotion that he puts into this, I'm, I'm just thinking to myself, what a toll could this have taken on him? Because mm-hmm. I mean, he throws himself into any, anything that he's in. And, and in this case, it's, you can see him, you can see his face and know that it's him. But as you're watching him do the role, it's, he's another person. Like he is embodying this character and, uh, his, from every body movement, you, you wonder, is it studied? Like, is this him like studying and being clinical about his craft or is this him throwing himself into it? And it's just what naturally comes out. It doesn't matter. Cause it's, it's brilliant. I could see him getting an Oscar for this. For I was going to say this it, it from the way you're describing it. It feels like an Oscar type performance. He if he's not nominated, I'll be surprised if he wins the Oscar. I'll be surprised, too, because it is still a pop culture yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. But 
Um, but if he's not nominated, I'll be surprised. So. I bet he gets nominated. I bet he does not win. And I bet that's one of very few nominations that movie gets because it is a um, – uh, No, no, no. I think that they'll also get nominated for cinematography. Oh, yeah? Oh, it's it's just – this is a film student movie. In this, mm-hmm. <laughs> What I mean is it's a movie that film students are going to be like, oh, wow. I mean this this is going to be like this generation's Pulp Fiction or this generation's – I don't know. I don't want to go to Star Wars because it's a different kind of thing, but it's going to be the kind of thing that's just going to like film students are going to gravitate to it. Wait, um, did you see Joker? Jo- yeah. Oh my gosh, Joker! Yeah, Joker I, I, was so cool. <laughs> and it doesn't celebrate the violence that everyone thought it was going to. Like that's good. You know this yeah. this this is not. Uh, you know, they were afraid that this is going to push people to violence and push, you know, disenfranchised. Um, I'll just say it. You know, they're talking about how this is going to push disenfranchised 40 year old white men to go out and, and shoot people or something like that. If it does, if people do it after seeing this movie, it's not because of this movie. Like they were already inclined to do that and they were looking for an excuse. Um, this this movie does not glorify it. Uh it does cause you possibly to have sympathy for someone who has a mental illness and might do something, you know, because of the mental illness. Like it creates sympathy for the devil, so to speak. Um, but creating sympathy for a character and inciting someone to violence is two completely different things. And um, yeah. Does it tie into the current DC mythos movies right now if it does then yeah i i don't see it i don't okay. see it and and i don't think that they intended it that way like this is its own okay. thing um i could see it being its own franchise honestly uh you know turning into like a, a trilogy i could see it working as a trilogy where here's the origin like it's it's batman begins you know this is the joker version of batman begins and then you have uh, the clown prince rises or whatever and um but didn't they almost make joker kind of like a a a a hero or at least the main character in a bunch of comics bunch of books well he had his own comic series and yeah he he's had his own graphic novel with like the killing joke and, and some yeah like he's been made a main character but um what's interesting about this is this takes out all the mystery you know one of the big things about joker in uh, the dark knight was he had he told his own origin story different ways different times you know and no one knew what was true um and in the comics you know he has origin story after origin story and this is a very very specific origin story that works for this movie, but doesn't work for the, the, the greater, the justice league series of, of DC movies that they've been making. And that's part of why it's good. (laughs) Honestly. So. Yeah. Okay. I'm still debating on whether or not to go to see this movie. I'll wait till it comes out on DVD. Um, I might wait until it hits my second run theater. Yeah. If they pick it up. Yeah. 
Ben, what is your um, suggestion? Should people go see this? Should they wait till it comes out on DVD? What What would you? How would you okay. advise our listeners? If you're a film nerd, then I would say try and see it on the big screen because it is a well filmed movie, and and it's 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 it was pretty on the big screen. Um, but that said, most of our TVs are big enough that you can see the prettiness and and experience that on on the small screen. I would say it's worth a rental no matter what. Um, I would. Yeah. So big screen, little screen, if that's your thing, you know, if if you like thoughtful, but not necessarily lining up with your worldview kind of things, I do it. You know, this is this is a movie that's meant to make you think. It's meant to stick with you. It's meant to, you know, cause you to think about a lot of different stuff. And yeah, I I, I recommend it, but I don't recommend it to everyone because if if strong violence bothers you, don't see it. And if you are the kind of person who really emotionally, um emotionally connects into a movie, you know, be very careful because this is a powerful storytelling, but it's powerful storytelling about a person who is disturbed and you are with that person, the entire running length. It is point of view movie for sure, where you are just with him the entire movie and it doesn't pull away from him and it doesn't pull punches. So it's, it makes you uncomfortable. It makes you worry that, okay, what's going to happen next? Um, and, and it makes you think through like, okay, what if this, what's going on with this guy? You know? So yeah. Joker. Maybe see it. Maybe, maybe don't maybe use your best judgment. Yeah. I would also say like, if you're someone who's a completionist and has to see all superhero movies and this is sounding like something you wouldn't like, I would recommend don't do it. Just, just don't worry about it. You're not, you know, it's not the end of the world if you miss one of these movies. And if you miss one of these movies because you think it might bother you, then yeah, it's, it's like Jessica Jones, you know, where so powerful, so good. And yet I would not say to, not everyone should see it. You know, it's, it's not for everyone. So anyway, my opinion and you know you know you so yeah be careful but if you like taxi driver and you like batman then you just got some <laughs> chocolate in your peanut butter <laughs> batman's not in it is he uh okay so uh, no spoilers let's uh wrap this up thanks guys Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.